Andy? Fine. Uh, Andy? Barney? Uh, I've got something I want to say, and uh, I want you to hear me out. I've been meddling too much in your personal affairs. Oh, no, I... Please, please, no, I've been meddling too much in your personal affairs, and uh, the time's come for me to stop it. After all, you're a grown man, and certainly don't need the likes of me to advise you or to guide you or tell you who to go with or who not to go with. It's your life and yours to do whatever you please with it. Whoever you want to marry... Well, that's your own business. And I just ain't going to interfere. And that's all I had to say. Well, I I appreciate that, Barney. And I'm glad you feel that way. Because I've got something I want to tell you, too. I've decided I'm going to court Miss Crump. Miss Crump? Are you kidding, Andy? Well, she can't even cook a leg of lamb. She said herself she's a terrible cook. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. Why don't you grab your Bibles? Uh, you can have your own Bible. Grab it now. You can grab a Bible in the pew back in front of you if you'd like. And uh, why don't you turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Uh, if you open your Bible to the middle, you'll most likely hit the Psalms. Go one book after, and you will hit uh, the wisdom book of Proverbs as we uh, continue this morning in our sermon series on friendship uh, entitled Better Together. Proverbs is where we're going to be. We will really be throughout the Proverbs, so if you want to begin in, oh, chapter 15, that's a good place to begin. We'll be making our way, jumping through many different Proverbs, so be ready to follow along in your Bible, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. You know, while uh, while Barney, there in our video, found it difficult not to, uh, in his words, meddle in the personal life and affairs of, of course, Andy Griffith, by sharing his opinion of, uh, of whom Andy should court and pursue, meddling or Let's maybe use some biblical language here. To use the biblical language, providing counsel or providing advice, according to the book of Proverbs, is actually a mark of a healthy friend. That is, what healthy friends do is they provide good advice. They provide good counsel to those that they are friends with. You know, last week, if you were with us, we began to take a look at the book of of Proverbs to look at four marks, four characteristics, if you will, according to Proverbs, of what good friends do. Four marks of gospel friendships, if you will. And last week, we saw the first of four. We called it the mark of constancy. The mark of constancy. Last week, we saw in Proverbs that a friend sticks closer than a brother, and that a friend loves at all times, and that a friend is born for a time of adversity. So the first 
mark of biblical friendship, according to Proverbs, is, is that of constancy. You are there for them through thick and thin. This morning, we're going to wrap up looking at the marks of gospel friendship by looking at three more character traits of biblical friendships. Three more C's. The first is counsel. The second is candor. And the third is carefulness. Or if you want to look at this way, mark number two is counsel. Mark number three is candor. And mark number four is carefulness. So let's pray together, if you will, and then we'll jump in to mark number two of biblical friendship. The mark of being a good counselor. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your blessings now on our time as we open your word. It is your inspired word. It is your infallible word. It is your authoritative word. And it is altogether good for us. And so, Father, now those of us who have received Christ as our Savior and Lord, may we joyfully look to the word uh, that the Holy Spirit, given to us by Jesus, have has inspired that we might understand both how to be the friends that you want us to be and how to look for friends that are altogether good and helpful, that are um, constant, that are good counselors, friends that speak to us with candor as well as with carefulness. Lord, open our eyes, make us the friends that we want to be so that we can have the friends that we desperately need, all for the sake of Christ. And we ask it in his name and all God's people said together. Amen. Well, let's begin then with really mark number two in the book of Proverbs of, of gospel friendships. It's, it's the mark of, of counsel. I ran across a, a Peanuts cartoon. You know those cartoons, right? Charles Schultz and his wonderful cartoon series simply entitled Peanuts. I, I ran across one of the, the Peanuts cartoons and, and Peppermint Patty, you know her, right? Peppermint Patty was, was talking to her best friend, Marcy, right? We know those two best buds, right? So she was talking with Marcy and she said, Marcy, I really would like to read this book. And she had a book in her hand, and she said, I'd like to read this book, Marcy, but I'm sort of afraid. And then she went on to explain that her grandfather didn't think much of reading. She continued by saying, you know, he always said that if you read too many books, your head would fall straight off. True or not? I don't know. Depends on who you ask. If you read too many books, he would say, your head would just fall straight off. To which Marcy, right, being a good friend, responds, well, 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 you start on that first chapter, and I'll hold on to your head, sir, right? As she would always say. You know, this is, I think, a great example of, of wise counsel, is it not? A great example of, of this first uh, marker that we'll be looking at of, of good friendships, that is, providing good counsel. You know, one of the marks of friendships is that of being a good advisor, being a good counselor. That is, a, a real friend gives you good advice. So let's begin in Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. There we see the necessity of receiving counsel from others. The necessity of receiving good counsel from others. Sort of generally speaking, Proverbs 15.22 says this. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But quite the contrary, with, with many advisors, they will succeed. It's a simple proverb, right? This proverb shows us 
that often our best laid plans and our best made decisions in life can often have blind spots, right? There are things sometimes that we just don't see, the proverbial blind spot, and we need counselors, we need advisors, we need a multitude of people speaking into our lives to help us see those blind spots. Plans fail when we don't seek after the help and the counsel of others. But with many advisors, the proverb says, those plans succeed. Now turn with me, if you will, to a very similar proverb. It's in Proverbs chapter 24. So if you want to jump ahead, you can. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6. We see a very similar proverb there. In fact, it almost says the same thing, but it it applies the truth that we just saw in chapter 15 to that to the action or the act of going into war, right? A very a common thing in that day and still in ours, unfortunately. But but this proverb says, Proverbs twenty four six, surely you need guidance to wage war. And victory is won through what? Many advisors, right? So a very similar truth that we saw in 15 applied to the act of war. You need guidance when you're going into an endeavor. And victory, success, often comes when we have a multiplicity of people speaking truth into our lives. See, what is true in warfare is is, is surely true in life. We need guidance to live life And victory in life is won through many advisors. And what better place to receive that type of counsel than from the lips and the life of a true and trusted friend? So friends, this is what these two initial proverbs are telling us. A simple truth. We need, you need, I need the input, the advice, the counsel, the insight, the experience, and the wisdom of other people in life, especially that of our trusted friends. And so we need to ask, are we willing then to let those friends into our lives? Are we willing to let them guide us? Will we receive their input? Will we let them ask us sometimes the difficult questions when they seek to advise us, when they come alongside us as our counselor, will we listen to them? Will we not only listen to them, but will we seek it out? Will we come to them when we're facing decisions, when we're facing hardships, when we have questions, when we need input? Will we go to them? Because plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, Proverbs says that they will succeed. We've been in the midst of sort of looking at at various housing options for me and my family, and we were looking at one house in particular. And one thing that I do know is that I don't know anything about construction. And so I needed wisdom. I needed a, a counselor to come alongside me. I needed advisors to help me see things that I would never see to catch things that I would never catch and to point out things, both good and bad, that I would never see. See, the Proverbs say, surely you need guidance. Victory is won through many advisors. Well, let's turn now to Proverbs 27. 
Proverbs 27. So if you're in chapter uh, 24, just flip ahead a few chapters. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. What we see now is we move from the Proverbs teaching us that we, just kind of generally speaking, we need advisors, right? We need counselors. But, but Proverbs 27, verse 9 narrows that scope for us and teaches us that not only do we need kind of advisors and counselors, but we need our friends to be counselors. We need our friends to be advisors to us. So take a look with me at verse 9 of chapter 27. The author says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. This, of course, is the NIV. It's, it's fairly interpretive here. Notice the imagery at the beginning of the verse. Perfume and incense brings joy to the heart. And there's a comparison here. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Let's take a look on the screen here. I like the New American Standard translation better. It's a little more literal. I think it gets to the, to the heart of the matter uh, a little better. So the, NA, the New American Standard reads this way. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. A very simple comparison, right? The author is simply saying that just as oil and perfume gives delight and is sweet to the nose, right? You don't want to sit, sit next to somebody who didn't wear deodorant. You don't want to sit next to somebody who didn't spray cologne on this morning, right? It, it's, it's sweet to the nose. So, he says, the wise counsel or the wise direction of a friend is delightful to the ear of the one receiving it, right? This verse, I think, reveals to us that a key ingredient, that a key marker, if you will, of of a biblical friend is to provide counsel that is well-received, that is, it's sweet to their ear, right? It's well-received, And it's well-received because what you're saying to your friend or what they're saying to you is trustworthy, it's true, and it's helpful. Now, you may be thinking, as we think about this marker of biblical friendship, on the term counsel or being a counselor to someone. You may think, you know, I don't know how to be a counselor. I don't have a counseling degree. Well, don't worry. Jonathan Holmes in his book, The Company We Keep, I think insightfully writes on this point. He says, quote, Don't let the word counseling scare you away. Counseling is simply interpersonal ministry. It is living out the one another's of Scripture together. He says, In a biblical friendship, counseling can and should thrive Naturally. So, in other words, when we talk about, when we see in the scripture that it's good to offer counsel or advice, don't, don't, don't freak out about it, right? I'm not saying that we all have to have counseling degrees. I'm not saying that there's not a role for professional counseling. Certainly there is. What I think the scripture is simply saying is that, is that 
Part of being a friend is to offer our insights to our friends. That part of being a good friend is to offer our experiences to our friends. It's to offer advice. It's to offer wisdom. It's to offer the resources that we have to our friends, both when they ask for it and at times when they don't ask for it, and that our being a counselor to them is born out of a deep love for them. We love them. We care for them. We want them to thrive and to flourish. And so at times, we will be an advisor. We will be a counselor to them. Well, let's take a look at one final proverb as we sort of round out mark number two, that of being a counselor. It's also found in chapter 27, so you don't have to move far in your Bible. Chapter 27, verse 17, I think uses a, a, a fairly vivid illustration to teach us that we need each other to sharpen one another, that we need other people to make us better Christians. Probably a familiar verse to many of you. Verse 17 reads this way. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, right? So a very simple comparison here. As iron being rubbed up against iron makes the iron sharper, so the proverb says that we as Christians, when we rub up against one another, when we have intense and focused and real relationships, that we make each other better. On this image of iron sharpening iron, about the best that I could do uh, illustration-wise is I I recall growing up, and my dad was quite the fisherman. He went fishing quite a bit, and in my younger days, I uh, enjoyed going with him. So we'd take the boat out on Lake Corpus Christi, and we would go fishing. And uh, because my dad is a great fisherman, we almost always caught something. I don't know if he's a great fisherman, but he almost often caught something. And so we we would take it back, and he'd say, Trey, you want to help me clean the fish? And I said, no, I don't want to help you clean the fish because it's nasty and stinky and gross. And he said, okay, I want you to watch me so that you at least know how to clean a fish. And what he would always do as he prepared to clean the fish was he, he would get his fillet knife out. If you're a fisherman, you know what that is. Um, he, he would get his fillet knife out and he got this, this sort of stone type thing. And he always called it a whetstone. I don't know what it's called, but he would call it a whetstone. And he'd get that piece of metal wet a little bit, and he'd get that fillet knife, and he'd do this this thing where he would rub it, sheep, sheep, you know, just just, he would grind it against that whetstone a few times. And uh, I remember hating it because the the sound of these metals rubbing against one another makes the hair on my back stand up. I just couldn't stand it. It's like like fingernails on chalkboard, right? Like. You know, that kind of feeling. So I'd always hate it. But he was making the blade sharp, right? He was sharpening the knife, metal on metal, iron on iron. Friends, what this proverb is saying is that good friendships are like that. They can be abrasive at times. They can be unpleasant sometimes because of the type of counsel necessary. But in the end, what is the result of a good and healthy biblical friendship? The counsel of that friend makes us a sharper instrument in the hands of God. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, one person sharpens one another. So what do we learn from this verse? We learn that the goal of Christian friendships should be the sharpening, the betterment of our friends. That is, 
because we are friends with a fellow brother or sister in Christ, we should become a better Christian, right? Because we are relating to them, we should be constantly both sharpening them and they should be constantly sharpening us. And I need that, so it's going to stay right there. As iron sharpens iron. In contrast to this, Gordon McDonald, who's a pastor up north, writes this. You can see it on the screen, I believe. He says, he says, there is a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be, as they say, myself. Now, isn't that true? Don't, don't when you ask somebody off the streets, hey, what makes a good friend? Well, I know that that person's a good friend because I can be myself around them. And in a sense, that's true. That's true. But, but McDonald goes on to say, but what I really need are relationships in which I will be encouraged to become better than myself. He says, myself needs to grow a little each day. He says, I don't want to be the same myself that I was yesterday, right? I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be more of a Christ-like person. And if you're a Christian, then you say amen to that, right? That's what we want to be. We want to become more like Christ. And what this proverb is saying is that the continual rubbing and interaction of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ makes us more into his image. And I think this final verse is really a nice transition for us too because we've looked at the mark of counsel in Proverbs. But truth be told, not all counseling is, is, is pleasant, is it? When we offer advice to our friends, when we are advisors to them, when we share our experiences and input, not all counsel is encouraging. Not all counsel is easy. It's not all uplifting. Sometimes, if we, if we learn anything from this iron sharpens iron, what happens when two biblical friends sharpen one another? Sparks are going to fly, right? And so we transition from the mark of counsel to the mark of what I will call the mark of candor. The mark of candor. What do I mean when I say that biblical friendships are marked by candor? I simply mean by candor, that, that we should have the ability and willingness to speak the truth to our friend for their good. To speak the truth to our friend for their good. It, it simply means speaking um, with an unreserved, honest, sincere concern for our friends. The story is told of a music teacher who is being visited by his, his former professor in college, uh, now a retired music teacher. And so the man was very excited for his mentor to come into his school and to see his music program. And so um, the mentor came and looked around and listened to a few things. And finally, the man asked his mentor, so what do you think about my music program? And of course, he anticipated that the professor would wax eloquent about what kind of a great job that he had done. Instead, the old, the old teacher responded, well, the soprano upstairs sings off key, and the tenor across the hall is flat on his high notes, and the piano right here, it's out of tune. Friends, that's what we mean when we talk about speaking with candor. It's telling our friends the truth in love. So if you're still in Proverbs 27, and I think you are, look at verse 5 with me. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6, our first verse on candor. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
Ponder that for a second. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Verse 6 is very parallel. It's the same point. He says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Let's take a look at verse at a time. Verse 5. The first half of the verse says, better is an open rebuke. Better to, to be openly rebuked by a friend than to have someone say they love you, but to hide it. What he's saying is that it's, it's more helpful. It's better for us to be openly rebuked by a friend than for that rebuke to be hidden from us for the sake of convenience or for the sake of maintaining some f- false sense of peace. Friends, hear me well. Failure to correct a friend, failure to correct in a relationship is evidence that one's love is, according to, to, to Proverbs here, is hidden. Quite literally, it says, better is open rebuke than withdrawn love. In other words, if you aren't willing to rebuke a friend, you have withdrawn your love from them. That's what this, this proverb is saying. And verse 6 is very similar. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wait a minute. Wounds from a friend? Our friends aren't supposed to wound us, are they? Well, in a sense, yes. Now, wait a minute. Our enemies aren't supposed to kiss us, right? Well, in a sense... Enemies can kiss us. So in verse 6, what are these wounds from a friend that Proverbs say can be trusted? Well, very clearly, it's the rebuke in verse 5, right? In other words, when we rebuke a friend, it's going to hurt. It will be received as a wound from us, will it not? But, But what does this proverb say? That a wound, a rebuke from a real friend can be trusted. Why? Because they really love you. They really care for you. They want what is best for you, and they're not going to sweep something under the rug. Notice then, the tail end of verse 6, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Hmm. A true friend may cause pain because they correct us. But an enemy is one who fails to correct us, but rather will simply tell us what we want to hear. They will multiply little kisses, and they will kill us. This tells us that while your friend may not receive your wound immediately, in the end, it's good. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 28. Very similar proverb, just one chapter down. Proverbs 28, verse 23, says this. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than the one who has a flattering tongue. This is a very similar verse to what we just saw, right? If you rebuke a person, this proverb says, in the end, if they're wise and if they're smart and if they're godly, in the end, you will gain their favor, right? Because they recognize you're doing it for their love rather than one who has a flattering tongue. This verse simply tells us that while your friend may not receive your wound immediately, in the end with them, they will realize you had their good in mind. I I recall a a moment, uh, it's been a little while, and I don't remember the circumstances, but there was some parenting situation. I said something to one of my kids, and I don't even remember what it was. 
And, and Shelly came uh, to me after that and said, you know, you really need to watch your tone. You know, you really need to watch what you say. And, and she kind of fleshed out like, hey, here's why maybe that wasn't the, the best thing to do. Let me ask you, did that wound me? Nobody likes being corrected, right? Of course, there's a wound there. But after I thought about it, I was yeah, that's right. That's right. She cared enough about me as, as a husband and as a parent to do that. That's what friends do. Christians, hear me well. If you are afraid to tell your friend what they need to hear, then you are no friend at all. That's what this proverb is saying. If you say, I love them too much, I can't tell them the truth, it will hurt them too deeply, I can't tell them that. What you are really saying and what I'm really saying, and I've, you've done it, I've done it, we've all done it, right? We've all failed here. But what we're really saying is that I love not them too much, I love myself too much to tell them that, to put myself through that. Charles Bridges His words are true. He says this, What is the friend who will be a real blessing to my soul? Okay. What kind of friend do we really need as Christians, is what he's asking. He goes on to say, I am a poor, straying sinner with a wayward will and a blinded heart, going wrong at every step. And so he answers his question. The friend then for my case is one who will watch over me at times with open rebuke when needful, not a flatterer. Friends, the second, third mark of of biblical friendship is that of candor. This is true of all of us. We are all poor, straying sinners. Even in Christ, we still go wayward. We still have hearts that at times can be blinded. We still desperately need Christian friends who will come alongside us and tell us something that we don't want to hear to keep us on the straight and narrow. We need to give our close friends, close friends, what Pastor Tim Keller calls hunting licenses. He says we need to give our close friend hunting licenses to enter into the secret grounds of our life and soul and to call us to holiness. Friends, do you, you have friends that'll do that? Have you given your closest and most trusted friends hunting licenses, if you will? Rest assured, brothers and sisters, that candor like this in friendship, you're not going to find that in the world. You're not going to find that in the world. That's what makes, in part, Christian friendships dramatically different than worldly ones, than, than sort of fake substitutes. Because in friendships with unbelievers, with friendships in the world, if we call them out on their shortcomings for their good, if we bring up unpleasant subject matters that we just don't want to talk about, what what normally happens? That won't be well received, will it? They will say, you're judging me, and all sorts of nonsense. Typically, what happens with that kind of thing? Well, there's a subject matter. One friend knows it and the other doesn't, but that one friend doesn't want to broach it in the world, and so they ignore it. They, they push it under the rug, or they outright say, who am I to say anything to my friend? And so, friends, we need to ask, are our Christian friendships marked, marked with candor, like the kind that Proverbs tells us? Well, we see the mark of counsel, right? And in our counseling, sometimes we need to speak with candor. But there's a fourth mark of biblical friendship, and it sort of balances the mark of candor in my mind. And it's, I'll call it the mark of carefulness. The mark of carefulness in friendship. Because in candor, 
We have to have the, the courage to speak the truth into our friend's life. But with carefulness, we need to be considerate. And we need to be wise in how we do that. Wise in how we relate to our friendships in two areas. Number one, we need to be careful with our words. We need to be careful with our words. That is, what we say to our friends, how we say it to our friends, and when we say it to our friends. And then number, number two, in our actions, of course, in our, in our dealings with our friends. The story is told about a former UCLA head football coach of many years ago. His name was uh, Peter Rogers. And uh, the prior season had been a rough one, apparently, for UCLA. Um, it was early 1970s. He said, he said things got so bad that uh, he remembers that friends were hard to find, he said. He said, friends were hard to find. He said, quote, my dog was my only true friend. And then he says of that year, quote, I told my wife that every man needs at least two good friends. So she went out and bought me another dog. (laughs) While his wife may have had good intentions, or maybe not, (laughs) I think we can all agree that she didn't exercise the biblical trait of carefulness, right? So we'll just look at a couple, a couple of Proverbs really quickly. Proverbs 25, so turn backwards a little bit. Proverbs 25, verse 20. Proverbs 25, 20. It says, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. This is a great image, isn't it? I snicker when I read it. It's funny. It's supposed to be. The imagery is simple. Think about it. When you take away a coat from somebody on a freezing day, what are you doing? You're making an already difficult circumstance worse, right? When you pour vinegar on an open wound, what are you doing? You're taking an already difficult circumstance and you're making it what? More painful. Similarly, and here's the point, He says, when a person sings songs, and here I think the proper interpretation is is a joyful song, you know, when a person sings joyful songs to a friend with a broken heart, what do you do? Are you helping them? The proverb says you are making their sadness even worse. What do all three have in common? They all have in common a lack of sensitivity, right? A lack of apathy, for a person's situation. In other words, this person being described here who can sing a joyful song when their friend is brokenhearted, they are not emotionally connected with their friend, right? There is a disconnect there, right? If if your child has this pa- passed away and your friend knocks on your door uh, singing a joyful song, that's not right, right? You're not being a friend. In other words... If you can be happy when your friend is devastated, then you really aren't their friend. And when a friend can be happy, joyful, when you are devastated, then they really aren't your friend either. A true friend knows how you feel and feel in part. They try to empathize with you, don't they? They are committed to your emotional well-being. And that means at times that, that they tie their emotional well-being to your emotional well-being. Well, the second proverb is very similar. Proverbs 27, again, back a few chapters. 27 verse 14. 
27, 14. This one's funny. It's just funny. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. That's funny, right? Let me just put it, this is Trey's translation, right? Trey's translation, applying it to me, okay? This is what... If you don't know me well enough, or if you don't care, uh, care about me enough to know that calling me in the morning with good news, or to say, did you see the beautiful sunrise at 5 a.m., it will be taken as a curse, okay? That's what this verse says. It's simple. It's plain. You're really not my friend if you do that. Listen, if there's an emergency, call me at 5 a.m., okay? I get it. But if you're calling me to say, did you see the sunrise this morning? I, I, you know, it will be taken as a curse, okay? So all of that to say, there's a sense of carefulness, right, in, in our friendship. So here's how we're going to close. Tim Keller, in his sermon on friendship, talks about the four marks of friendship. And he says, really, there should be like a couple different responses to these four marks. First of all, he says, when we, when we hear about a friend that is constant and, and provides good counsel, is full of candor and carefulness, man, we long for that, right? Our hearts say, we want that. But there's also a sense in which when we evaluate our own friendship, we say, I am not that, right? All the time. I don't do that well sometimes, and it points us to the fact that the, the only real friend, the only true friend, is none other than the man, Jesus Christ. In fact, on the night before his death, Jesus was trying to get across the point of the cross, what he was going to do for his friends. And he uses this image in John 15, verse 13 of friendship. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He is saying, in a sense, that he is the ultimate friend. He loves at all times. He is the friend who was born for adversity. He is the friend who will cleave to us at infinite cost to himself so we will not be ruined. He is the, he is the faithful friend whose wounds are the wounds of love, but instead of him inflicting them on us, friends, he was inflicted for us. Was he not? So friends, here's how we're going to close. Do you know Jesus as your friend? I'm not talking about your homeboy in a cultural kind of way. I'm talking, do you know him personally? Have you entered into a relationship with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ so that your friendship with God is restored, your friendship with Jesus is restored, and then we can become progressively the friends that we need to be? Friends, you need to know Jesus as your friend. And when you do, you start to walk with him. And lo and behold, you start to become a friend that is marked with constancy. And you start to become a friend that is marked with wise counsel. And you start to become a friend who is full of candor and carefulness. Friends, we're going to pray and we're going to close with a song. What a friend we have in Jesus. So Dan, I know I didn't ask you to do this, but you're going to come pray for us. Come up, pray for us, and we're going to close focusing on the friend we have in Jesus. Okay, if you join me, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your scriptures that you can uh, open our eyes and our hearts to the things that you have to tell us, Lord. We thank you that Trey does such a good job of revealing those to us, Lord. We know that uh, we all want to be popular and well-liked, and Lord, that is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but Lord, we also know that you've called us 
to minister to those around us, uh, our friends, our family, and, and those that we're close to. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us wisdom as we interact with uh, our friends, that we would not ignore uh, shortcomings in their lives, and that we would be open to uh, the, uh, the counsel that uh, our friends give us from the other side. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you've given us ears to hear, and we pray that you would open our ears and we would listen and be open to, to those things you have to tell us. Lord, we just thank you for these gifts in your name. Amen. Let's stand and see.